Rachel Barenbaum, author of A Bend in the Stars. And I'm so excited to have Sanjana Sathyan here today. Her book, her debut, Gold Diggers, is so good. I loved it. I can't wait for you guys to read it. And I can't wait for her to answer all of my questions. I have a lot. Tell me, Sanjana, what is your book about? Thank you for having me. Um, my novel follows a young man named Neil Narayan, who uh, is 15 years old, growing up in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia in the first half. And he is kind of an underachiever in his Asian American bubble where people are extremely competitive. Uh, he finds out that his best friend and longtime crush, Anita, is doing really well uh, in school and striving in part because her mother has been stealing gold from other Indian Americans and turning it into a kind of magical elixir that helps her get a leg up. Uh, the novel follows them through their teenage years uh, and then picks up 10 years later when they are in Silicon Valley in their 20s and there's kind of a whole new kind of striving that, that happens when you're upwardly mobile, Asian American, and in your 20s. I read that you are already sold and you're already working on the TV version, right, with Mindy Kaling. That's really exciting. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so we've sold the option. So there's still many steps to go before it could actually be on people's screens. But uh, yeah, we, we sold the option to Mindy Kaling's production company, Kaling International, last summer. And it's been really cool starting to talk to showrunners and think about a visual language for, uh, for the book. It's also narrated in first person. And so moving to television means we can tell the story from a bunch of different characters' perspectives and have kind of a wider scope. Amazing, that's so exciting. I'm hoping everything falls into place for you. I know there are a lot of steps still to happen, but it's still exciting, so. Um, I really wanna talk about Neil and Anita and this uh, pull-push between mediocrity, right? And striving for excellence. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so I mean, Neil and Anita are kind of like these two different halves of myself. Um, I, on the outside, always looked a little bit like Anita in terms of being high achiever, heads down, like having a good work ethic. Um, but like Neil, who is kind of more of an underachiever, on the inside, I always felt like I was falling short of these sort of infinitely high expectations. And I think that that's the case for a lot of people. Uh, who come from families where ambition is prized, who come from cultures or communities or schools where ambition is prized. So some people have sort of seen these two characters as two different examples of the kinds of people you encounter in the South Asian diaspora. But I think often you actually find that every person has a little bit of both of these people in them. Um, even when you're really ambitious, ambition can take its toll on you. I love it. And I love, um, there are a couple of passages where the conversation goes around, well, something like, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, not in your beautiful words here, but something like, right, maybe mediocrity is better because if you want less, right, you can actually get it as opposed to, right, shooting for the stars or the sun. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about that idea of mediocrity being better? Well, I think mediocrity isn't something that's afforded to a lot of immigrants or children of immigrants. Uh, the Indian diaspora in particular is uh, largely shaped by uh, immigration processes that require you to have pretty advanced degrees, um, be really kind of economically competitive in order to get into the US in the first place. And that means that there is kind of a, a collective um, delusion in the subset of Indian America that I come from, that the only way to make it here is to be the best. And as I think a lot of second generation kids grow up, get a little bit older, you start to realize that 
it's okay to just be, um, and you don't have to be the best. Um, but that is like really hard to conceive of when you're 15 and your community is obsessed with people getting into Harvard and making money. I love how you're so open about bringing your own experiences and your own past into your conversations and into the book and your characters themselves. Um, and uh, I read uh, in an article that you were interviewed in recently that you talked about how the um, community in the book is much like one that you grew up in um, and that you grew up sort of being torn between saying you were American and you weren't American, right? And that maybe it's more recently that you feel American. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I grew up kind of in two different worlds. Uh, one was the world of Georgia, suburban Georgia, which was extremely white um, uh, until I started seventh grade at a new school. Basically, everyone I spent time with was white. Um, and uh, But then my family also had these sort of bubbles of Indian America, and they were restricted to weekends. We would go to Indian parties that I never wanted to go to. Um, and uh, those were just, they were two different lives. And so it could feel like uh, you had to choose whether you were more yourself in one world or the other. Um, I think a lot of that changed when I started to read American literature and I got a sense of the idea of America and really realized that as a writer, I wanted to be a part of that tradition um, more than anything else. I love how you described those parties in the book too. You had, you sent Neil down to the basement, right? In one of those parties and it was just so vivid and so well-written. So at the end of a recent article in the New York Times, you um, talked about some of the recent political events that happened near your hometown. Um, and you said at the end, this just, this killed me. It was so moving. On another day, I might've pointed to this part of the country as proof that we had arrived. This week, all I can see is the fragility of our belonging. Oh, can you talk about that? Yeah, thanks for reading that. Um, I mean, it's it's really frustrating to to say the least. Um, the the shootings at the spas in Atlanta were about four minutes away from me, where I where I currently am, um, and in a part of town that I really usually feel very at home in. Um, I do want to acknowledge there are like major differences between my world and the world of the women who are victimized and killed. Um, very much more working class. They were Korean and Chinese American. Um, and so it's not explicitly my world that was under attack. Um, what I've been thinking a lot about is uh, this desire I've had as a writer to move past like generic racism and microaggressions that people always want you to talk about and to sort of complain about how you don't belong. Like this book is supposed to be about more than that. And I think it is. But unfortunately, in the current climate, it feels really hard to talk beyond that when you know that there are just more immediate and urgent questions about whether or not you are welcome in this country. Um, so it feels really hard to, to, to talk about art when, when people are dying. But, but you are doing a great job. I mean, I think art is a way to move the conversation forward too. It's a little bit easier to digest for some people, right, than the, the reality of the news. Um, so what do you want people to take away from the book, given all this? Well, for one, I hope it kind of is just a good read and that it feels a little bit like an escape. Um, I think that there are some people who might see themselves in the book in a way that hopefully they, they, they feel recognized, they feel included, they feel a kind of new sense of literary belonging that I've heard that a little bit. And it hasn't just been from Indian Americans. Like, 
friends who work in tech were like, this book is for me because it's about ambition. Um, so I hope that it makes people feel more at home. Um, I hope it does something to the kind of collective imagination of, of uh, how people think about Asian Americans um, and people who weren't familiar with Asian America that maybe they come away with a more textured um, picture of who we are. Um, but I really just hope it moves people. That's what a book is for. It's not for a political end. It's it's to help you enjoy a, a little bit of time and, and be moved. Right. At the end of the day, we want a good story. And you wrote one. It's amazing. So I have, two, I have a couple of publishing questions for you now. We're going to switch gears a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about um, the hardest part or something that was hard about getting your debut published? Well, I... Uh, I think a lot of the run up to publishing for me happened like years before I actually queried and, and tried to get an agent, which was just feeling like writing fiction was a valid way to spend my time. I was working as a journalist for five years and fiction did not have any obvious like end. It was not clear that I was gonna make it or be good enough. Um, once I did an MFA program, I felt much more at home, much more validated. Um, and I was pretty lucky. I, I queried right after I graduated and um, got uh, got an agent, got some interest and, and was able to go with Susan Gollum, um, who's an amazing agent, pretty soon after. Um, and the scary part was like waiting. Um, I had to do a couple of revisions that I hoped would make the book better, but you never know at that stage. Um, uh, but it all worked out. I, I had a pretty a pretty lucky run of it. Amazing. So what kind of advice do you have for new writers? I always say it's really important to learn how to read for craft. Um, people, I think, come into writing sometimes because they feel like they have something they want to say, um, but they may not be in touch with like years of literary tradition where other people have grappled with trying to say something about themselves, their community, their private experiences. And so I think it's important to read who came before you. Um, read really widely, not just people who look like you, um, and to uh, then reread um, and try to say, how is a book that I love? How does it function? How does it work? How does point of view work? Because um, you're not going to figure out those things unless you get into the nerdy weeds of craft. Um, and you can do that by just being a really attentive reader. Okay, so I have to ask then, what are some of your favorite books that you've read like way outside of your comfort zone or your regular reading? Um, outside my comfort zone, I mean, I, I read so widely. Um, like right now I'm reading the four books by Yen Lian Ke that's kind of a political satire um, in, set in China during the, the Great Leap Forward. Um, I studied, um, I studied uh, English literature in college and the department was very heavy on Britlet. So unfortunately I graduated without reading really enough writers of color, but I was always reading out of my comfort zone in terms of like too much Spencer and Chaucer. Um, <laughs> but the writers that had the most influence on me were probably Zadie Smith, Philip Roth, Mark Hami, who I see you have right behind you, um, uh, Rushdie, writers like that. Sanjana, thank you so much for this interview and for the amazing book. I loved it. I hope all of you listening and watching read it. May you sell many, many copies.